0: Well, we'll turn to Deuteronomy 21 in a moment the last few verses two small uh, items which I just thought you might be interested in hearing about it appears that there was a member of the House of Lords and she had invited the Dutch politician a man called Geert Wilders and he, he had produced a documentary called Fitna and it's about Muslims and, and uh, uh, their religion and things. And she'd invited this Dutch politician to a private meeting in the Palace of Westminster. And she had intended to invite her colleagues in the Lords to a private viewing of this documentary. It has been very much discussed, and it was going to be followed by a discussion and debate in. in true parliamentary fashion and this is uh, after all a liberal democracy in which we live we have always enjoyed over many hundreds of years the right of freedom of expression and freedom of association no sooner had the unsuspecting woman, Baroness I suppose she is sent out her invitation Lord Ahmad now he is a a Muslim lord who sits in the the lords but he threatened it's reported that he threatened to mobilize 10,000 Muslims to prevent Mr. Wilders from entering the house and threatened to take the colleague who was organizing the event to court and so it was cancelled the showing was cancelled and will not be screened In the House of Lords on the 29th of January. I looked at the Pakistani press and they were jubilant. And Lord Ahmad is praising Allah for delivering a victory for the Muslim community. And this is quite serious actually. That someone can stop free speech in the House of Lords. Uh, I could say a bit more about that, but I, I don't want to spend too long on these couple of points this morning. The other thing, and it was a, lo- a lot of the news items today, but I, I noticed it during the week, that the Pope has been reaching out to the far right of the Roman Catholic Church. I, I don't know whether they realize that. We, I, we, A lot of Protestants like to think that the Catholic Church has changed and that they're all so much nicer than they used to be. But he has revoked the excommunications of four bishops and that would include one whose comments denies the Holocaust and that has provoked a lot of outrage. Among the men reinstated was Richard Williamson. He's a British guy who in an interview last week said he did not believe that six million Jews died in the Nazi Gask chambers. He has also given interviews saying that the United States government staged the, the September the 11th, the 9-11 attacks, as a pretext to attacking Afghanistan and uh, things like that. These four men who reinstated are members of the Society of St. Pius X, which was founded by a French archbishop in 1970. And it was as a protest against the modernizing of the Roman Catholic Church by the Second Vatican Council. And the previous pope uh, excommunicated them, but this pope, despite the fact that what this guy has said, is prepared for them to come back into the fold. So Rome doesn't change, and that's what our motto is, we never change. And that's all I want to say on those things, because we need to get on as we are remembering the Lord this morning in the breaking of bread. It's interesting, in, we're going to read from Deuteronomy 21, and we'll read from verse 18. And it refers in these verses to a particular event which occurred in the New Testament. And it's interesting, as we look at that, you would see what I'm getting at in a moment let's read from 18 if a man have a stubborn and rebellious son which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother and that when they have chastened him will not hearken unto them then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of his city and unto the gate of his place and they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice, he is a glutton and a drunkard. No, the man of the city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shall thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death and he be put to death and thou hang him on a tree his body shall not remain all night upon the tree but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day for he that is hanged is accursed of God that thy land be not defiled which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance you know as we look at scripture we marvel at the sufficiency and relevance of all scripture each portion links in and joins up To make a total and complete guide for our life and for our living. I just recently finished a short book by Gary Gilley entitled, Is That You Lord? And in it he pointed out the need to exclude so many extra biblical experiences and so-called revelations which have no foundation in scripture but which we have been conditioned in these days to accept. We need to be aware that there is no continuing revelation, otherwise the scriptures themselves are not sufficient, as in fact they claim to be. We have in the word of God the complete revelation of God. and We'll look at that in a moment. I I was reading a book, and it was written about 150 years ago, but you know they had the same problem in those days that we're having today. And I'm going to read a portion from that book just to if you can put it, it goes much better than I can say it. There is but one supreme and paramount authority, and that is the Word of God. All human writings are interesting as references, valuable as age, but they are worthless, yea, mischievous as authority. Scripture is all-sufficient. We want absolutely nothing in the way of guidance and authority beyond what we possess in the sacred canon of Scripture. No doubt it is only by the Holy Spirit we can understand, appreciate, or be guided by Scripture. <clears throat> God may use a human voice or a human pen to help us, but Scripture is divinely sufficient. It can make a child wise unto salvation, and it can make a man perfect unto all good works. Second Timothy 3, 15-17 Now having such a guide, such an authority, what becomes us as Christians, as children of God and servants of Christ? Clearly, to submit ourselves absolutely and unreservedly to its teaching in all things. We are bound by every argument and every motive which can possibly sway the heart to test everything in which we are engaged or with which we stand associated by the holy standard of the word of God. And if we find anything, no matter what, which will not stand that test, to abandon it it at once and forever. It is precisely here that we feel there is such serious failure in the professing Church. As a rule we do not find the conscience under the immediate action and government of the word. Human opinions bear sway, human creeds and confessions of faith govern the heart and form the religious character. Human traditions and habits of thought are allowed a formative influence over the soul. If it be merely a question of personal salvation, profit or blessing, scripture will be listened to. People are glad and thankful to hear how they can be saved and blessed. Everything that bears upon the individual conditions and destiny will be welcomed. But the moment it becomes a question of Christ's authority over us in spirit, soul and body, When the Word of God is brought to bear upon our entire practical career, upon our personal habits, our domestic arrangements, our commercial pursuits, our religious associations, our ecclesiastical position, then, alas, it becomes apparent how completely the authority of Holy Scripture is virtually thrown overboard. In point of fact, the enemy seems to succeed as completely in robbing professing Christians of the real value, power and authority of the Word of God as when, during that long and dreary period of the Middle Ages, it was wrapped in the shroud of a dead language and buried in the dark cloisters of Rome. It is appalling when one comes in contact with the actual condition of things among professing Christians to observe the ignorance of scripture and the carelessness about it nor can any thoughtful person doubt that the ma- the latter is the cause of the former scripture says if any man will do his will he shall know of the doctrine but if the word of God be neglected and practically ignored as an authority need we marvel when we find people ignorant of its precious contents we have been struck of late in our dealings with Christian professors in noticing the little moral weight which scripture seems to possess we will rarely meet with anyone who is prepared to start with this one grand point that the voice of the Holy Spirit in scripture is absolutely conclusive that it admits of no appeal, that it closes all discussion. God has put his word into our hands, and he has put his spirit into our hearts, and by that spirit we can understand the word, and we are solemnly bound to be guided and governed by that word, in all the details of our practical career. Now that puts it very clearly and that's why we study the word Sunday by Sunday so that we may be fully equipped in the battle and for the battle. As he points out there's no room there for somebody saying, and you'll come across it so often I know the Bible says that, but in my opinion, I think times have changed. So in my opinion, God isn't interested in my opinion. It's what the Word of God says. You know, yeah, I've said it before. You have this idea that God is going to listen to your opinion. The Word is there. What does He say? We are solemnly bound to be guided and governed by that Word in all the details of our practical career and I thought that was interesting, it's the reason why we study God's word, so that we can be equipped, so let's look at this passage this morning we have here a rebellious son and he was giving his parents a hard time there were four problems with this son and you'll see as you looked at our son he was stubborn he suffered from stubbornness he was rebellious and you know as I looked at these uh, four things that were wrong with this son I I was reminded of course of the youth that we see around today and the people we see on our televisions uh, the, the binge drinkers, the young people uh, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Today we would have given this uh, son an, an Osbo, a, a, an antisocial behavioral order. Slightly different from the punishment he received here in Deuteronomy, but uh, I was reminded it was a picture of man today. Man is stubborn. Man refuses to listen to the Word of God. The average person doesn't know the Word of God now. Whereas 50, 60 years ago, we would have expected people to know know bits of Scripture. Now, man just is stubborn and, and will not listen. He's rebellious. Mankind has rebelled against God. And this is a very good picture. You know, he, this man here in the in the in the passage, he was a glutton. He was feeding on the world's food instead of feeding on the bread of life. He was a glutton for all those things which were he was feeding upon, which was making him stubborn and rebellious. And he was a drunkard. Man. Instead of feeding on the word of God, the bread of life, and drinking at the fountainhead, the waters of life, he was drinking at pleasure's broken cisterns. In pleasure's broken cisterns I thought to quench my thirst, but blinded by the devil's wiles, I knew not they were burst. And he was to be brought to the elders... And he was to be punished. He was guilty of death. And mankind without God, without their Lord Jesus Christ in their lives, is guilty of death. This was an example here of God acting in righteous government. And we looked at this whole thing in the ninth, I think it was CD number nine, where we have God acting in government. Look at the comparison of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. When he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. The same God acting in Deuteronomy is the same God that was a picture of him acting in Luke chapter 15. In Deuteronomy he was acting in righteous judgment on man guilty of death in Luke we see the heart of God reaching out in love to a lost and rebellious son every day he sat and waited watching down the road to see would his son come back now someday those who reject the love of God offered in his son will face the stone of his judgment the stone rejected by the world will fall heavily on the rebellious and the stubborn. And now we come to the last two verses of this chapter. And these are interesting. And I think, you know, sometimes we read through verses and we just say, oh, well, there's no great relevance. But these, these point right to the Lord Jesus Christ these two verses if a man have committed a sin worthy of death and he be put to death and thou hang him on a tree his body shall not remain all night upon the tree but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day for he that is hanged is accursed of God that thy land be not defiled which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. A man hath been judged, found guilty of death, and hanged upon a tree. As we are saying, mankind's just punishment is that we are guilty of death. And God, as a righteous judge, says the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And the body of that man was not to remain there overnight, but to be buried that same day. Why? He that had been hanged on the tree was, it says, was accursed of God. Accursed of God. He had committed sin worthy of death and he was cursed under the law the reason given throughout Deuteronomy for judgments of offenders is so often and we noticed it before so often was that the land be not defiled which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance it was God's desire that the inheritance would remain pure And so the accursed one had to be buried from sight. Had to be buried from sight. We move forward many hundreds of years to the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was taken out and he was hanged on a tree. there is a vital difference between the death of Christ and the death of the victim who was hanged on the tree in Deuteronomy 21 the victim in Deuteronomy 21 and this is fairly simple but it's so profound the victim in Deuteronomy 21 was guilty and was therefore under the law cursed and hanged on a tree, he was under the curse of God, our Lord and Saviour was innocent, he was the sinless, spotless, Lamb of God. We were guilty, we are guilty, mankind is guilty, as was the stubborn son guilty of sin. But look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. one. Second Corinthians 5.21 For God, it says, For he, for God hath made him, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God made his son to be sin for us who knew no sin. There's no legal reason why the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, should be hanged on a tree. But there was because God made him to be sin for us. Galatians 3.13 Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is every one that hangeth on the tree. Going right back to our passage in Deuteronomy, and it's, it's wonderful how scripture all joins up. Cursed is everyone that that hangs on the tree Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law because we were under the curse of the law we should have been hanging on the tree but because God hath made him to be sinful, us Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law Because he was made a curse for us. Here we have it. Christ, who knew no sin, he was righteous and not under a curse. Not under the wrath of God. Because he was made sin for us, he bore our sins on the tree. He was made accursed and bore the punishment of a guilty sinner's death on the cross. What a wonderful Savior. And so salvation is offered to sinful man through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And so, according to the Jewish law, the body could not remain on the cross overnight. It was no accident that the Jewish leaders asked for the bodies to be removed. Because Christ had become a curse for us, it was necessary. For his body to be taken down and buried. Look at John 19 verse 31. John 19. <coughs> the Jews therefore because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day. For that Sabbath day was a high day. besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came forth out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true that ye might believe for these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled a bone of him shall not be broken and again another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced after this Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus but secretly for fear of the Jews besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus and Pilate gave him leave and he came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And they came also Nicodemus, which at first came to Jesus by night, <coughs> and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about an hundred pound weight. And they took the body of Jesus, and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury Look at 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3 For I delivered unto you first of all That which I also received how That Christ died for our sins According to the scriptures And that he was buried and That he rose again the third day According to the scriptures And so He who was accursed and hanged on the tree Was taken down from the, from the tree From the cross And and buried can we see here any picture for us to uh, glorify God about yes the last the world saw of Jesus Christ was on a cross that's the last time the world saw him and then he was taken down Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and he was buried we have here a picture look at Romans 6 verse 4 therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the father Even so we also should walk in newness of life. Baptism to those who are believers is a picture of being buried with him into death. That's the picture we have of baptism. So we should live as those who are dead to the world. Colossians 2.12 says, We are buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. We are buried with him. Christ, when he was taken from the cross and buried, the world saw him no more. Colossians says, We are buried with him in baptism. It's a picture of us dying as Christ had died, buried with him in baptism. We should no longer walk as citizens of this world, but as citizens of heaven. Christ was raised from the dead. Ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. It's a picture of us being raised with Christ. Ephesians two five Even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace she is saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. That is our position. Now we have to live in this world for a while. Our place is in heaven. Although we have to live down here, our position in Christ is heavenly. We're not of this world. We should therefore live in the light of that glorious truth. Colossians 3 Three, for ye are dead we're dead and the picture of baptism is of us dying and your life is hid with Christ in God as Christ was never seen again by the world we hid in Christ we are hid in Christ and therefore we're not of this world now we are in this world living in this world is as a time of night, isn't it? We look forward to the coming of our Savior, the bright and morning star. He shall come to end this night of waiting and take us to be with Himself. And as it says in Revelation, even so come Lord Jesus let us give him thanks this morning for his death for becoming accursed for you and for me his body broken and his blood poured out at Calvary low in the grave he lay Jesus my Savior waiting the coming day Jesus my Lord Vainly they watch his bed, Jesus my Saviour. Vainly they seal the dead, Jesus my Lord. Death cannot keep its prey, Jesus my Saviour. He tore the bars away, Jesus my Lord. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever. With his saints to reign, he arose, he arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. What a wonderful Saviour we have! He became accursed for you and for me, so that we might be hid in him in the heavens.